Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hi everyone. I'm John Verhoeven, and I was a cop back in Sydney in the 80s. And I'm Paul Verhoeven, John's son. I'm an author, and I wrote two books about Dad's time as a cop. The first five seasons of Loose Units spanned my time in general duties, forensics, my time as a firefighter, and even my stint running a funeral home. But this season, we're visiting the locations of Australia's most notorious, baffling, horrific crimes, and looking at what happened there. From Snowtown to the family, from the Morehouse murders to haunted highways, This season of Loose Units is your go-to guide to the worst crimes in Australian true crime history. Welcome to Loose Units, The Shadow Files. Hello and welcome back to Loose Units, The Shadow Files. Today, Dad and I are recommencing our exploration of the murders that Ivan Milat carried out back in the late 80s, early 90s at Belangelo State Forest. This week, we are kicking off with something pretty terrible. It's been a couple of weeks, by the way, since we checked in with this case, but we are picking up on Sunday, January the 20th, 1991, when a young woman known as Simone Loretta Schmidl was taken by Ivan Milat. And Dad, this is one of the worst, I would say one of the worst murders that he committed. It's definitely one of the saddest. She was hitchhiking, as you know, um, these other victims were. She was a young commercial assistant from a city in Bavaria, a Regensburg, and she'd gone hitchhiking, basically. She had four days to get back and meet her mum in Melbourne, I believe. And she had a tourist book that she'd been reading, which actually said it was safe to hitchhike in Australia because, and I quote, all Australians were warm and friendly. God. It's also worth noting that she had a knife on her, so she wasn't completely stupid, right? Mm -hmm. So her and her friend Jeanette were hitchhiking together around Australia, and uh, New Zealand, actually. And they were thinking, you know, things are pretty safe. And then Simi, as she was called by her friends, headed out by herself. And she thought it would be faster to hitch her way to Melbourne. She left Guildford. Suburb in Sydney. Yeah, she left Guildford, Mm. um, where they'd been staying. And it was a 15K trip to the Hume Highway where Mm. she was going to hitchhike, right? And like I said, she had four days to get back to Melbourne to meet up with her mum. Basically, this is when things went terribly wrong. Dad, what are your thoughts on how this whole thing went down? She was hitchhiking as were, you know, the known victims. Yeah. That's not to to even mention the other victims they believe. We will get in. Yeah, we'll we'll get into that later on because that's that's Mm. a fascinating part of this case. But... Yeah, by this point, you know, she's not to know what Ivan Milat has been doing. No, no, but he must have been charismatic, Paul. And at this juncture, I would like to say something that I think is quite interesting. 
one of our listeners reached out to me a few days ago and I'm just going to put this into the mix because I think this is important to when we're all listening to this podcast and we all sort of have our own it's like when you read a book and you you sort of get to sort of know in a creepy way the characters mm-hmm. and if you've never seen a photograph of a character for example yeah and then they do a movie sometimes you think mm, that's not how I imagined that person but what I'd like to say is that I I was contacted by a dentist, get ready for this, who is or who was the dentist for Supermax, which is Australia's most uh, high security, dare I say, notorious prisons. It's in Goulburn. Mm-hmm. Ironically, Goulburn being on the Hume Highway, on that highway of, 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 of death and destruction. Right. And this dentist said to me, and he saw all of the worst prisoners in Australia, all of them. And he said one of the real problems with that the staff had and that he had with Ivan Malat, get ready for this, mm-hmm. is that he was incredibly polite. And there's no way that the staff could actually not like him apart from the fact that he was... A mass murderer. He was not like your run-of-the-mill scumbag, dead shit, just fucker in Supermax. He was, he was, and he was a teetotaler as well. He kind of, and he was very fastidious and tidy. And and when you meet sometimes people that have got this insidious reputation, and you kind of meet the person, and you think. This doesn't quite equate to this person. I say this at this juncture because I'm sure that is how he enticed people into his vehicle. Right. And on this fateful day. One of the interesting things about all the cases that we've discussed and going to discuss, Paul, is that the general consensus by the forensic community is that all murders took place on the day they were hitchhiking. All of them. And they've established that based on clothing they were seen in, clothing they were found wearing after death. And this girl... Imagine you're in the car. He is driving you down south, so everything seems okay. You know that you're heading in the direction of Melbourne. It's summer. All of these crimes were committed over Christmas or Easter in Australia. And there was certainly a a feeling back then of, you know... I mean, I used to see hitchhikers. um, And I occasionally did hitchhike myself, but only if I was with a friend. And at a certain point, we know that Belangelo State Forest is off to the right. So as you're heading south, at a certain point, you must turn your vehicle at 90 degrees and go into this place which is heading directly west. And if you were to continue in that direction, you would head into the the red centre of Australia, albeit a long way away. To be with a stranger and then be taken into this forest, I can not imagine, and there's a certain point where he would have to 
He's obviously not just going to turn off into the forest and the girl's sitting there and everything's sweet. No, there has to be a point where he must then bring out a weapon. It would have either been a, a large knife, one of his Bowie knives, or a firearm. And then it all goes, just the feeling, uh, if you can all imagine what it must be like to know instinctively that it's probably going to be your last trip. You're going to die, but also you would be thinking, how on earth can I get out of the vehicle? Am I going to jump out whilst it's still moving? What do I do? It's just, it's it's crazy and frightening. Well, there was a lot of time for her to think. And this for me is the worst thing. So he drove her along about eight kilometers of forest roads until he found the spot where he was going to actually do the crime. And I think it was like a pretty, you know, pretty flat, unremarkable area, heaps of gorges. It's deep in the forest at this point. She's tied up. She's taken from the car and they reckon it's about 40 meters from the car to the clearing where it happened but they're not sure when this happened dad but the single worst thing that happened to her was and this is a trigger warning if you're not already well and truly aware of what Ivan Malat did to his victims but he severed her spinal cord right so she couldn't escape this is something he did it's um we talked about this on the shadow vars before Hmm. it's fucking heinous and for me, that is what indicates his regard for human life or lack mm, thereof. Mm. I think it's oh, that that is horror movie stuff. Mm. He also, Paul, set up a uh, he set up bottles on a log, right? And again, the general consensus by the forensic and police community is, and I quote, and it's funny I say I quote even though I'm not reading this. I quote because I remember it because it's so depressing. Yeah. Is that Whilst the victim, in particular this girl, was conscious, he set up like a target range and they found over 100 spent cartridges near the murder scene. The hypothesis is that he was demonstrating to the girl before she died what a great shot he was. Like he's doing target practice. And... Going back just slightly, Paul, with two of the other victims, they found that he'd actually undressed them, got them to undress, but then he got them to redress themselves, then he moved them on a few hundred metres. It's just the prolonging of a sadistic, horrific torture show where the end is within sight but it's being prolonged prolonged by him yeah for all sorts of reasons and another thing paul with the seven victims that we know of is that that the again the consensus is that he became more and more sort of i won't say thorough but he became more relaxed more comfortable and he stretched the process out Longer and longer and longer. The more people he murdered, the more time he spent with them. And unfortunately, the parents of uh, Simone, they heard about their daughter in probably the worst way a parent can ever hear about something terrible happening to their child, and that is that they heard it on the radio. 
and they contacted the German police for confirmation. Right. Well, they were at the airport waiting for her. So they went to the airport. Erwinia Schmidl, on January 24, she came to Melbourne Airport to meet her daughter. And then, obviously, you know, when you're waiting in an airport for somebody to come out and then the crowds start to sort of dissipate and you realise that they're not coming. At that point, that's when things kind of kicked into gear. I know the investigation sort of accelerated at that point. I mean, Simi, as again, that, that was her nickname. Simi was stabbed six times and then she was covered by Malat with a canopy of leaves, ferns, and twigs. Yeah, it's so interesting the way he did that. It could be so he could find her again, but he also took souvenirs from his victims. Mm. So when they they finally got got to his house and found all his stuff, he kept a litany of souvenirs. Mm. He kept uh, camping gear, backpacks. He had a whole bunch of stuff with her name on them. And some of these things were actually uh, found in other relatives' houses. He'd send things... He well, gave. He, wait, he re-gifted things from people he'd murdered. Yeah, he, no, he sent items to to family in Queensland. Her water bottle, which had her name on it, uh, he'd scratched her name out, but their forensics actually used infrared to mm. spot her name on it. So it says Simi. Unbelievable. Uh, I'm looking at crime scene photos here. I'm looking at um, aerial photographs of the crime scene. I'm looking at photographs of some of Malat's trophies. So she had a sleeping bag mm. and a tent. He kept those. It seems at this point he's a full-blown serial killer. This is his mm. fifth victim. Sorry, it might, it, it, we think it's his fifth victim. I mean, like mm. we said, well, there's conjecture. Now, Dr. Bradhurst, yep. he was the, the foren- forensic pathologist and he had been given the task. This was his brief now. When he got her body back to Glebe, where I used to go, at least once a week, he said that there was no injury at all to the skull. So there were different things happening to different people. However, the chest and the back showed numerous stab wounds. And as you stated earlier, the telltale knife thrusts to the spinal area, which had severed the spinal column. He had a full skeleton. He had just started doing the post-mortem and he got an urgent message saying... We found two more. So, Paul, the two next victims were Anya Habchide mm-hmm. and Gabor Nugabauer. Uh, male and female, again German. They, um, the forensic pathologist, Dr. Broadhurst, or Bradhurst, he rushed back to the scene. And he was taken there by a police helicopter. <clears throat> and the new site, there were, there were two graves. And they were 150 feet apart and they were at the very edge of the prescribed search area. Uh, well, it was marked on a map called Area A. And this time, uh, a Dr. Griffiths, he actually had in his possession the dental charts for the boy Gabor. Now, the dental charge, charts <clears throat> also... Um, hadn't arrived for his companion, but they, they were really on the case. So they're, they're sort of expediting things. They know they've got a... They know they have a mass murderer. Uh, and they... Again, Gabor's remains, they were found under a pile of brush that was partially covered by a large log. And it took, to quote, several burly... I like the way they say burly, uh, which means, you know really big guys 
to actually lift this log away from the grave and they confirmed the identity and they knew about the clothing they knew about all the all you know this was irrefutably the people they then realized this is so terrible that the girl Anya she'd been beheaded and they know that because he deduced Dr Bradhurst that the head had been severed from the body very very cleanly by a sharp instrument the consensus was it was either a machete or a sword and the angle of the cut indicated that the victim was probably kneeling with the head down it showed all the signs and i'm quoting here of a ritual decapitation how's that and does one then hypothesize that her partner witnessed the ritual decapitation so it's it's as bad as it can possibly get isn't it what do you mean a ritual decapitation they don't expand on that but it's in italics in one of the reports um, that i've been reading and they just know that it was he got her to assume a certain stance so she's kneeling it sort of has a bit of a a war you know sort of vibe to it where they would um, behead um, prisoners right hey it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad high quality fashion without the price tag say hello to Quince I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters sleek leather jackets fine jewelry and so much more with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands and they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. When, generally speaking, from what I can gather from my own knowledge of that particular horrific crime, that is a fairly, dare I say it, standard pose. You are not going to have someone standing up next to you because you'd have to sort of thrust the sword sideways. I think the the beheading thing, I mean, let's look at the, the early beheadings in, for example, England that they regularly did um, around the Tower of London mm-hmm. where you would put your head on a block and the executioner who wore a hood, the hood being to protect generally his anonymity uh, with just two little eye holes and they would use a large bladed axe. But they know that it was a single blow. Now, to remove a person's head with one blow, you'd need an incredible amount of force, skill, precision, and also an incredibly sharp object. Well, not necessarily. I mean, you've dealt with a decapitation technically. In Electric Blue, there's actually a case where a motorcyclist hits... Ah, yes. uh, an object at such speed that True. his head is taken off and you fa- you picked it up and found it inside the, the helmet. Right? Mm. Yep, yep. Yeah, thanks for reminding me of that, Paul. Not to be so not to be um too graphic here, but how much how clean was that break when you saw it? I mean Oh, it was more yeah. more ripped off. Ripped okay. off. Torn. Okay. Literally pulled apart. But but another sad thing, Paul, is that the male partner, when they got his body back to the morgue his mouth contained not one, but two gags, okay? He'd also tied a knot across his mouth. So basically, he'd put a gag inside his mouth and he'd tied another gag around, like with a knot, to sort of keep the first gag inside him. Mm-hmm. It's just so depressing. I actually it's- found an article from, um, from AP News back in 1994. So this was published on October 25th, 94. At this point, that actually caught Malat. What's interesting is the murder of Simone was just before his 47th birthday, okay? Mm. Just to give you a bit of context time-wise, at this point, AP News is broadcasting this story globally. I'm going to read this now just to give you a bit of context, okay? Mm. Campbelltown, Australia. The serial killer who slaughtered seven backpackers bound them with ropes, wire loops, and black electric tape like handcuffs to control them, police testified today. Officers appeared in Campbelltown local court to describe the restraints and other evidence found near the bodies of the victims. Three Germans, two Britons, and two Australians. The defendant, 49-year-old Ivan Malat, so that's just, you know, this place is that in time for you, <laughs> again attended the preliminary hearing that will determine if there is enough evidence to warrant a trial for multiple murder and attempted murder. So we know how that turned out. Malat, who has been in custody since May 23rd, has denied the charges. Now, this is where it gets interesting. A figure eight of electrical tape shaped like handcuffs was found about 60 yards from the remains of German tourists Anya Habschied, 20, and Gabor Nugabauer, 21. In addition to the loops of tape, Constable Mark Klin said he also found a bundle of ropes and an adjustable leather strap. Now, Dad, this will put a bit of more, a bit more detail 
into what happened to these two victims. Nugabau had been shot at least six times and stabbed. Mm. Habsheed had been decapitated and her head has never been found. Mm. Now, that's interesting. Mm. A procession of other officers who helped in the search of the killing ground in the Belangolo State Forest southwest of Sydney in October and November 93 described finding bone fragments, 22 caliber shells, a money belt, bone bone fragments, that's bone fragments twice, and teeth near the bodies. Camping gear, backpacks, and other property belonging to several of the backpackers was found at Malat's home and had been given to his relatives for storage, Mm. Chief Prosecutor Ian Lloyd said on Monday. Mm. And at that point, they go into the charges, right? Incredible. Um, The article also goes into detail regarding the man we've talked about relatively recently um, who got out of the car and escaped, remember? Mm. So yeah, the head was never found. No. Which reminds me of the the other case. Remember... um the girl on her on her birthday in Wollongong, that no. terrible one. Yeah, you and I did a thing on it years ago and, you know, that, that terrible guy that's just been recently caught. We've never done this story. Oh, okay. Well, that's something exciting for the listeners. Well, we'll just leave it there, okay, because it's, it's about the head. Paul, okay, I think what we should say is that for the first time ever in Australia at an international cricket match... They interrupted the cricket match to talk about this this terrible thing that was happening in Australia. Were they and it was broadcast. Like, did, were, they, were they asking for help? The yes, they were. Help? Yeah, they did this incredible. They they actually broke into the the live cricket and did this huge thing. It's, it's it was unprecedented. That's the oh, level of almost desperation the police were getting to, and a guy in England mm-hmm. with the surname of. Onions. Do you know about him? Yes. Yes. Okay. Well, that is quite remarkable because he was. Look, his witness statement was so incredible because he was an eyewitness. He had been a potential victim. And. Yeah, we've talked about him on the show. We have, but he reported it to the police and it was all just kind of. You know, think about how many people over the years we know for a fact that one of our listeners got in touch and, as was said a few weeks ago, his mother-in-law, when she and her friend had just left ballet in Barrel, they were picked up by Ivan Malat. This is way before. So he was just kind of, you know, there are probably people that he picked up in the very early stages would have just had a conversation with him and he gave them a lift and they got out. But as time went by, he evolved. One of the most disturbing facts with this case, Paul, is that he worked the highways. Yes. We also know that he worked as far north as Newcastle. Mm. And we... We know also that they, they, there are people that theorise there could be as many as 37 people that he murdered. Yeah. During that period, it would have been easier to get away with this Easy. stuff, especially especially given how isolated it was. And the fact that, you know, hitchhikers typically aren't always on the grid. Dad, there were more victims as well, weren't there? All right. So far, Dad, James Gibson and Deborah Everest were stabbed repeatedly on December 30th, 89. Okay. Mm. And then Simone Schmidl, Gabor Nugabauer, and Anya Habsheed. Now there's two victims left. 
the two final victims of Ivan Milat. They went missing on Saturday the 18th of April, 92. So they were British and they met in Australia and they decided to basically tour around the country. Yeah. Hmm. They left a backpackers in April and they fanged it across to southeast New South Wales, unfortunately. And their bodies were found in September in Belangelo State Forest. Now, as far as wounds go, and I'm reading here, Joanne's chest showed three stab wounds to the right side, one to the left side, and a further stab wound to the neck. When the body was rolled over, the full extent of what could only be described as a frenzied attack became clear. A further two wounds were found to the left side, five more to the right, and two to the spine at the base of the neck. 14 wounds in all were recorded and measured. The internal exam revealed that five of the stab wounds had cut the spine. I'd say that's a frenzy, honestly. Dr. Bradhurst speculated that any of the spinal wounds could have been delivered prior to the fatal blows, thereby rendering the victim helpless. The ribs... Oh, God, I hate this. Two ribs had been totally severed. The hands and arms showed no defensive wounds. Now, you noted that a couple of weeks ago, actually. Mm, Yeah. This, coupled with the remains of the gag and neck ligature, indicated that the killer was completely in control. During the murder, the wounds measured one and a half inches by a quarter of an inch with the profile of a Bowie knife or similar style blade, as we thought. The arms of Carolyn Clark's body were stretched above her head, which had a red cloth wrapped around it. Bullet holes were clearly visible in the decaying cloth. The cloth was carefully... Rem- I don't think we need to keep reading. No. This, no. Is, this, is, this is pretty fucked, in mm. your words. Yeah. It's terrible, Paul. I hate, I hate this. I hate this. I hate this case. I hate this man. I hate that this happened. I hate mm. that I now even know that people are capable of this level of cruelty. I hate seeing the faces of these young women and realizing 21, 22. Mm. I mean, barely. Mm. I mean, I, I've. One of the things about this case is that there's a, a sense of commonality between the location as to where some of the victims set out from. And it, it, it was in King's Cross, which, as the listeners know, I pretty well live in King's Cross. I know this area intimately. I can walk. It would take me less than five minutes to walk to the backpacker hostel and it's just really bad um again this they left in easter at, a, at easter and the parents are uh, of walters they you know they used to hear from their daughter quite regularly and they started to get a little bit worried and then her visa expired. They became more alarmed. They reported his disappearance to the police in Wales. And the Welsh police informed, you know, their counterparts in Australia. Because, you, know, you know, these girls have been missing for some time. And it was... Um, what happened was is that Carolyn failed to get in touch with her dad on his 58th birthday. And... You know, both families got together and incredibly, Paul, and really sadly, is that both the families travelled to Australia to search for their daughters and they refused, as parents would, to accept that, you know, there was any suggestion of foul play. And sweetly, uh, both sets of parents, they had this beautiful, sweet, idea that perhaps the girls were actually staying with aborigines in a remote desert station and they were kind of stranded out in you know the vast australian outback that's that's the sort of hope and fervor and and just wishing that 
you're not you're not going to jump to the worst case scenario. You just can't, particularly when you have no no news. And they they made a like a a general announcement to the public, and yeah. Yeah. you know the police started to sort of really really you know take things incredibly serious. And you know by the time they found their decomposed bodies, um, we already had five other backpackers that had had vanished and it was terrible um you know they had press conferences the parents were saying look whoever's doing this you know look one of the parents actually said at a press conference he said i wouldn't call them sick because sick people can be cured to an extent these are evil-minded people and like dogs with rabies there is only one way they have to be put down and destroyed. That's the, the terrible angst and anger that was being felt. It was just, you know, and time goes by, specialist task force to set up. And, you know, Paul, for 12 months, they, they just, they had no idea. And then it was January 1990 that, you know, the man Onions reported the incident to Barrow Police Station, and they they took no action, and the report was lost, and four years went by, and then late in 1992, the father Stephen Gray he conducts a, uh, a memorial service in the heart of the forest for Carolyn Clark and Joanne Walters, and he says that you know we've come here today where something wicked happened, so that this place can be peaceful again and its memories put out to rest. Next week, we're going to address Ivan Blatt being caught and his eventual death in prison. And that's going to be a really, really, I think, useful, cathartic exercise to close this saga out. Because him being caught and tried is a very, you know, it's an important part of the story. So I'm looking forward to having it it told. In Mm. part four of our look at the story of Ivan Malat, I don't think anyone could ever associate, and this is unfortunate, It'd be very hard not to think of these murders when you think about Belangelo State Forest, but that's why we're doing the Shadow Files, to try and address the things that happen in places and what that does to those places. Mm. Well, thank you for listening to another episode of Loose Units, The Shadow Files. Don't worry, we will be back at the end of the week with a palate-cleansing episode of Loose Units, Loose Ends. Sorry about the sort of... um, Sorry about the break between episodes. Uh, We wanted to do three loose units in a row, three loose ends in a row, to basically give you a bit of a diversion. But that's done. We're back on the case. Thank you for listening, everyone. Have a great week. And we will see you at the end of the week for more Loose Units. Bye, everyone. Cheerio. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. 
Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.